Hello, friends. Good afternoon. How's it going? I bet there are a lot of answers. So it's uh, it's been nice to sit with you, and and just as I kind of predicted for for Bonte and myself, this has been a very cozy retreat. It's been nice to meet almost all of you. Um, each of us by now have met uh, three quarters of you, and then we'll meet the rest tomorrow. And it's just nice to get to meet everyone and connect with everyone. It's really nice. Feels it feels really. Um, sweet for us. It feels like a sweet container. So thank you for being here and uh, practicing together and sharing your practice. Really. Mm. So so what are we doing? What are we doing? What have we done? What are we doing on this retreat? are we doing together? It's always good to back, go back to the, to the basics, kind of ground ourselves in the big picture. <clears throat> so first and foremost, whatever work we do, this work of investigation, can only be done in a container of metta. It can only be done in a kind, gentle container of metta because things come up. It's not easy to see. It's not easy to see the personal, and it's not easy to see the universal. Um, And there has to be gentleness and kindness to hold it all. It cannot be a cold, calculated, heady endeavor of seeing reality within and without. It just can't be. It has to be in a container of kindness and gentleness, to hold it all. It has to be that way. It just has to be that way. So that when we do see and investigate and start with the personal and the difficult emotions, difficult feelings, difficulties arise, and when the mind settles, it's so common. That's what happens when the mind settles the difficulties. Often things we haven't experienced or felt deeply for a long time, for many years or even decades, can come up. And there has to be that container of kindness and compassion to hold it all. And similarly, as we see the universal truth, as we open up to the truth of impermanence, and it really hits us in a deep way, all things are impermanent. There is grief with that. There is, of course, grief with that. There are difficult emotions that arise with that. To see the truth of dukkha, the truth of deep unsatisfactoriness of life, it is what it is. Um, And to see the truth of not-self, that this body, this this being is a process. It's, It's ungovernable. All of these, the universal truths also bring up bring up a lot that need to be held in this container. So seeing is not always easy. This examination, the results of the examination is not always easy. And it's not supposed to be. And it's okay. Basically, the point is not to be 
blissed out in this state of bliss and not and completely ignore and push under the carpet all the difficulties and just hang out on top of the mountain on the mountain top um, and then come out and face our life that's not what this practice is about that's not what this practice is about it's not in fact the maturity as a meditator happens when you realize that's not the point of the practice and it's okay at the beginning you know many of us have thought that that, oh yeah it's about good states oh yeah I'm going to like hang out and like oh yeah that's what it's about I'm going to get all those good states and happy states and that's what meditation is about it's about peace I'm going to get peace and darn it stop it be quiet you're disturbing my peace you person breathing too much and too too harshly in the corner of the room or rest. so it comes up it's, we don't have control over it and to know that that's not the point of this practice the point of the practice is freedom liberation and freedom and liberation are experienced in the moment when you have more freedom with things as they are the person next to you can breathe as hard as they want. Um, they can, you know, cough and just, it's all, and it's okay. There's, there's peace and ease holding. And even if reactivity, reactivity comes up in your mind, they shouldn't be doing that. Having ease with that, holding that with ease and compassion and slowly, slowly. So, so growing, growing in that way. Um, and it is interesting when um, we realize that slowly, slowly, our capacity is expanding. We extend our capacity to be with things that bothered us before. It doesn't mean that nothing is going to bother us again. There, there will be plenty of triggers that we continue to have until we're completely liberated and completely enlightened. Um, but but we just extend our capacity. I mean, I know that for me, there were things that would bother me, and now they bother, either they don't bother me, or when the bother comes up, it's like, oh, look at that. Oh, that's interesting. I make friends with the bother. I make friends with that bother that comes up, because it still comes up. They still come up. So it's interesting. I'm reminded of um, the analogy. There, there was this movie... Um, um, it called um, a beautiful mind yeah a beautiful mind about John Nash who was this talented um, Nobel Prize uh, mathematician Nobel Prize winner mathematician and um, he also uh, suffered from schizophrenia and had these images that came up and the movie was actually quite touching um, it shows it, it represented his images his 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 um, dealing with schizophrenia it was represented as two two um, two people a, I think a young girl and an older man that would show up in different times and it would just really drive him crazy and it would really he would um, uh, he would suffer a lot and then at the end of the movie there is this scene where he's made peace with with a lot in his life and in this last scene of the movie as I remember it of course you'll watch it like it didn't quite happen that way but anyway from what I remember the Dharma point is <laughs> the Dharma point is there's this scene at the end when when um, he's going uh, to Stockholm to get his Nobel Peace Prize 
and um, and then this the girl and that the older man the, the you know the signs of his schizophrenia still show up they're still there he sees them acknowledge acknowledges them but he's not bothered by them he just sees them like oh yeah you're here too okay i see you and he goes up to the podium to to give his acceptance speech so i i see our practice of freedom of moving towards freedom in that way it might still show up what bothers you what pains you can still show up but it doesn't drive you crazy. It doesn't hurt you anymore. You see it, you acknowledge it. They may not show up anymore. In fact, they'll show up less frequently. These things will show up less frequently. But when they still show up, they won't have power over you. And that is freedom. That's the definition of freedom. It happens little by little by little. And there are experiences that expedite that. When you see things as they are, then you take yourself less seriously. Then you take things that you took to be so personal, less personally. That's why, that's the value of these quote-unquote insights. They're, they're not valuable in and of themselves. It's just they're valuable in the way of how freely you live your life, how free you become, the way you live, the way um, you are. They're not badges that you add um, and, and you know, put you know, hang in your, on your wall. It's just the way you inhabit yourself, the way you live, the way you become kinder towards yourself, towards others. The, you feel less bothered. Um, you live with more freedom. So, so as we do this practice, as we're sitting and as we're practicing, as, so going back to what have we been doing? What are we doing? Well, first, and I'll go back to this question as a theme throughout the talk. So the first thing that we, we are doing is setting up a container of metta in which we're going to do all of our practice. It's a container. It's intertwined. With, with our awareness, with, with, with all the ways in which we do this, this investigation, which again, investigation is not a heady endeavor. It's a, full, it's a full-hearted, full-bodied investigation, sensing into, into these realities. And as we do that, then we spend the first couple of days settling the mind, settling the mind by paying attention to the breath or sounds as they were predominant, mostly the breath within the framework of the body. And to say that as the mind starts to get settled and quiet, you might have noticed that a lot of feelings and emotions do come up. And, and just as I was saying, we do extend our capacity to be with them Instead of saying, oh, go away. You know, sometimes, uh, by the way, at the beginning of the retreat, it is often wise um, to say, you know, not now, you know, not now. Just kind of drop them, not now, for the mind to kind of have that settle, settling. But sometimes that n- not now is not the appropriate thing to do. Emotions, feelings come up, which is not just about, oh, what, what do I want to eat for lunch? And, you know, just th- thoughts like that. But, but 
things that say, no, now, this is the time. Now, this emotion, this is the time. I need to be felt, I need to be acknowledged, I need to be processed. And that's the time you say, okay, now, all right? Sitting with, sitting with, sitting with the emotion. Sitting with, letting go of the story, but sitting with the emotion. Sitting with the energy in the body. Sitting with the the way the sensations are felt and move and are released, etc., in the body, which relates to the four elements. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But one thing to also say that as wise as it is to know when it is right to be with what arises, because being with that suffering, being with that personal suffering is the doorway towards towards seeing the universality, to seeing the truth, the universal truth of suffering. And there are times that it is wise to titrate, to pull back, when the mind feels completely overwhelmed in the midst of the suffering, whatever it may be, to say, okay, whew, I need a break right now. Okay, this is getting too much. I'm losing my stability. I'm losing my wisdom. I can't exactly be with this right now. Okay, it's time to say, not now. It's time to go for a walk in the hills. It's time to go have a cup of tea and just ground myself, just ground myself with physicality. And then when the mind has space again, that might be the time to sit again and and allow whatever needs to show up, to show up, to be there and to be with it. So, so going back to what we're doing, what we have done. So after setting up the container of metta, which is continuous, you know, we continue to water the plant of metta every day, right? At 7.45 p.m. Hopefully not just that time, but throughout the day, in all of your practice, bringing it in in all ways. And then we spend some time to, to calm the mind, to settle the mind, through some practices of, of samatha, anapanasati, um, mindfulness of the breath, either here in the chest, belly, body, feeling the breath within the body. And then we moved to the four elements meditation. And the four elements meditation is, is a way of investigating, as we've been talking about it, it's a way to feel and investigate and be with the reality of physicality um, in a raw sensation way, in, in, a, in an elemental way. And just to say how that fits in, how that, how that fits in. So part of this practice that we're sharing, that, that Sayada Ujjagara and I are, are sharing, um, uh, laid out in the Visuddhimagga and, and taught by... Um, uh, Venerable Park Sayada, uh, we're doing a pretty like introductory version of it, just tapping or or dipping our toes into it. But basically, calming the mind through samatha, and then investigating ment- uh, materiality, uh, rupa. So so the practices that we talked about, um, and then it moves to investigating nama, which is m- mental formations. M- Thinking basically the the um, 
the world the, the, the world of the mind. So that is where we're going next, just to kind of give you a heads up. Um, and as Bhante Ujagara was talking about, really the practice of four elements naturally connects and that the, uh, c- connects to examining the mind. The, na- the examination of the body naturally leads to examining the mind. You just, it, it happens. And again, I'll lay out how, how we're going to, the invitations we have for you in the way of doing that. So, so before moving on, though, I'd like to say a little more about the four elements meditation because that that still be part of our vehicle moving forward. So, so with the four elements, um, as has come up in the practice meetings already with many of you, if if that's a practice that you're choosing to to do an experiment with. You don't really need to get too hung up uh, with with labeling um, and identifying because sometimes you know a sensation might be felt in your body. Oh, is that hardness or is that tightness or is that this or is that that or how does it or or how do I how do I exactly feel the water element? Like, wait a minute, how is cohesion? How is flow? Where do I feel that? It's okay. You don't need to get all wound up about it. It's supposed to be helpful. It's supposed to be not a mental exercise, but really an experiential way of, of, of being helpful, just as Bhante Ujjagara was, was talking. So I want to emphasize that. And one way to work with that is, is to take one sensation, feel it where it's per, per, predominant, and then allow it to grow and feel it throughout the body. And that might be easier than the, the scanning, the body scan, which is the formal way of doing it. Uh, which I shared on Pax teaches, but it's okay to just feel it popcorn style in your body. Like, oh, I feel this, I feel that, and allow um, allow it to be organic in that way. And then with with walking meditation, you can also do the four elements meditation when walking. In fact, it's a lot of fun to do it while walking. Have fun with it. Feeling the hardness, feeling the, the coolness of the breeze, the hardness of your feet on, on the ground, the movement, the motion, just all of that, the sensations within the body. Can, the body can really come alive in, in a different way so that all that is experienced is not so much the concept of the body, but it's just a sea of sensation. The body breaks down. The feeling of the body, the perception of the body can completely break down to just see an ocean of sensations in space. That's what it can feel like, which can turn the mind. It's a different way of experiencing this body as if you don't have a body. It's just sensation. It's just sensations in space. And that can be one way to open up to experiencing not-self. Just this ocean of sensations, ocean of sensations. Also, with the practice of four elements, as it has been brought up, there are different ways to relate to it. One way is this this, um, internal way of experiencing it as sensations, as raw sensations. Another way to 
to relate to it is as as elements, as nature. I mean, of course, you know, physics tells us that the world today is not made up of these four elements, even though in the past, hundreds, thousands of years ago, that was the cosmology, that was the, that was the understanding that, that everything is made up of these four elements. So we're past that. However, in, metaphorically, I think there is, um, there is value in, in seeing how whatever is outside is also inside the hardness, the, the, the um, solidity element that's inside, or the fluidity, the, the water that's inside, or the blood that's inside, is not so different from the elements that are outside. In fact, I mean, we're made of carbon chains. I mean, we're made of carbon. There's oxygen, and there are various things, you know, um, inside this, this body. Um, and it's outside this body. It's inside and outside. So, so, as Bonte today was talking about food, the elements of food, what's in the food will become energy, will become us, will become a part of us. And this body is nature. Whatever is inside is also outside. We are nature. We are nature. This body is nature. We, we, in a way, we've been, we found ourselves kind of born in these bodies, right? Without a a guide without a manual, with an instruction manual. Oh, here's a body. Oh, it heals itself. It digests food. It breathes. It does a whole bunch of things we don't even understand. I couldn't even do it. I mean, I, I have no idea how I heal when I, when I cut. It just does it on, on its own or, or, or when I eat food and digestion happens. This body is nature. It does its own thing. Or sleeping, waking up, aging, all of that. There is so much impersonality. It's impersonal. It's anatta. It's not self. It's not me. It's, it's, just, it's this body doing its thing, getting born, aging, going through its cycles, uh, growing hair. There's all kinds of amazing things this body does, right? And then it will get old. The skin will get wrinkled. Organs will start to fail because that's part of nature and this body will die. So that's another way to reflect on four elements is another way, internally, externally. This body is made up of these elements inside, outside. Inside, outside. It's just nature. It's just nature. It's amazing piece of nature I call me, I inhabit, but, but it is nature. So, the practice of, of the four elements, really sensing the, the, um, the characteristics and the elements internally. This practice of rupa, experiencing the body, connects with the practice of investigating the mind. And Sayadaw Jagara has been setting us up for that with his beautiful simile of the golf clubs. 
I was actually thinking about that today in my room when I was thinking about this talk. And, um, you know, the Buddha was really masterful in coming up with similes, beautiful similes, to, to really get the point across. A lot of visual metaphors that the Buddha has. And, and I was thinking, the, uh, well, one thing that you don't know, but I know about Bhante Ujagara, he's also quite gifted with visual similes. And, um, and I was thinking this one is quite worthy of, of making up a fake sutta around the simile of the golf clubs. You know, it would be so funny. I was imagining, you know, if there, were, if there was golfing at the time of the Buddha, he, he, you know, him saying something like, so, bhikkhus, just so as, as a man uses the, a, the correct putter, sandwich, wood, pitching wedge, or iron, <laughs> when he's either on the sand, <laughs> the putting green, Etc. Etc. So, so you two bhikkhus, you should use the the appropriate um, meditation object uh, when you meditate. So anyway, so I thought. <laughs> so, so one point that he's been making with that is is not just using the correct meditation object and an approach given. What, where we are and what is happening, but but another beautiful point he's been making with the simile of the golf clubs um, is that there is always contact. There is always contact. The same way that the the um, golf club makes contact with the golf ball, that contact, our six senses are always making contact with the world. The five senses that we're familiar with, and the sixth one being the mind. And as I mentioned, and I repeat, the sixth, uh, the in in Buddhism, the mind door is particularly a special one. Is the one that everything from the the five sense doors can be replayed in it, like a symphony you heard, some something somebody said, or or a thought, or anything can be replayed, or a smell even can be replayed in the mind door. So in the six doors, there's always contact. There is always contact. Um, there's always contact between the the object. So, for example, if we take the if we take seeing, there's always contact with the eye and the consciousness of seeing. Eye, which is called eye consciousness. So that consciousness of seeing and the object that you see, the three of them keep they make contact all the time, or hearing. There's always this contact. And it's through that contact with the physical world that then thoughts, etc., arise. So from the physical world now, we go into the mental world, and we start talking about and examining that. So I'd like to share um, the part of the Hannibal Sutta, and this is not made up, this is from the Buddha. Uh, the Hannibal Sutta from... Uh, Majjhima Nikaya, 1816. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of these three of the three is contact. The contact as with contact as condition, there is feeling, and feeling here means vedana, feeling tone. 
with contact, and contact here, the word in Pali is pasa, for those who, who are interested. With contact as condition, there is feeling, Vedana. What one feels, that one perceives. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. Isn't that interesting? What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset a man with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. So you see how the chain is going. It starts with a pretty, you know, innocuous contact, and then, and then Vedana, feeling tone arises. You see something, oh, oh, pleasant, oh, pleasant, right? And then there's perception. There's perception, sanya. There's a perception of, oh, that's, that, this is that. And then one starts to think about it. And then one starts to mentally proliferate. Oh, I, I really like that cushion. It's a nice cushion. I like it. Oh, I wonder if I can take it home. With, anybody, can I take that home? Oh, that, oh, no, I have one at home. Right? Like, you know, blah, 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 on and on and on. And then with respect to that, uh, um, tinged by mental proliferation, beset a man with respect to past, future, and present. So what, what that suggests, what that leads us, the practice then becomes an invitation to actually see these mental formations arising before proliferation. Because by the time proliferation arises, be, with respect to the past, present, future, it's kind of too late. Like, it's not too late, but you know. The, there is a lot of wisdom to actually see the workings, to see how the mind is operating, because it's often, um, it's under the radar. It's so under the radar that we don't see it. We just kind of, we're in this world of reacting to things, liking, disliking, wanting this to stop, wanting that to happen, and we don't even see, oh, we didn't catch it early on. We didn't catch it because we're not, we haven't trained ourselves. We're not trained to catch it early on. And it is. It's actually, it's possible to see it before it gets to proliferation, to see, oh, that's how it started. It's just started from, oh, I saw the, the water fountain. It was pleasant, and I wanted water, and somebody was in front of me, and I was upset. And Oh, that's how it started. It was that. It was just that. So, so here are the invitations for, the, for this examination. And again, it's not heady. It's not that we are trying to see from, from up here, but actually feeling into them. So the few invitations we have for you is um, to see if it's possible to, to, to see contact, to see the moment of contact, to see the moment that, you know, one instruction actually that, that I worked with in the past is the mo- to, with sounds, like the moment you hear a sound. Oh, here it is, contact, contact, contact. 
ear consciousness is making contact with the sound. It's a moment of contact. You can say, that's when it happened. That's when it happened. Or when you see that moment of contact. And then, seeing the arising of Vedana, or feeling tone. So Vedana is actually a very, very important teaching in, um, in Buddhism. In fact, it's so important that, um, you know, in the four foundations of mindfulness sutta, in Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, which is a very um, um, foundational uh, teaching that many of the teachings that we share here on, on regular retreats at Spiritual come out of that sutta. Um, so the second foundation the, is about Vedana, seeing Vedana, feeling tone. The whole second foundation, everything else is you know crammed into the other foundations. But Vedana is, uh, has an entire foundation by itself. It's so important to be able to see feeling tone. And that has been a huge part of my practice, actually. When I started to see Vedana, feeling tone, it just, it was amazing. It was just amazing. I started to see it years ago on, on a retreat. It was given the instruction to start to notice Vedana, feeling tone, which, which shows up as, oh yeah, Vedana. It's uh, V-E-D-A-N-A, Vedana. Feeling tone, and it's basic. It's very simple. I mean, it's by the way, the the translation "feeling tone" is awful because you start to think that oh, it's feeling. It's about. It's not about feelings at all. It's just about. It's pleasant, unpleasant, and neither unpleasant nor pleasant, which is a mouthful. So in English, we just say neutral. But in Pali, it's actually neither pleasant nor unpleasant is the Pali word for it. So pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That's all. That's the feeling tone. So it seems like a pretty simple teaching. Well, big deal. Okay, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. But it's huge. It's, why is that so? Because we don't have control over it. It's kinda, it just comes up on its own. Something you've seen the label pleasant gets slapped on, or label unpleasant, or neutral. And guess what? These labels have nothing to do with the inherentness of something. They don't have to do... The mind kind of... If you're cranky someday, if you wake up and you're tired and cranky, it's likely that your mind is going to slap on every contact you make with the world, every, every sound you hear, everything you see is going to be labeled with unpleasant, 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 unpleasant. Have, have you had some of those days? I know I've had. Like, wow, I'm cranky. Everything bothers me today. Even things I like bother me today. Right? It's just it's an unpleasant Vedana is being slapped everywhere. Right? And, and what's actually fascinating is, is experimenting with seeing how Vedana is not fixed, is not, is not inherent in the object of perception. And this became clear to me years ago. Um, I, was, I had received this teaching, and, um, and, and up to that point, I had had a um, uh, not friendly uh, uh, feeling about TikTok, of clocks, tick tock, tick tock, and I think that was because I'd spent maybe too many nights 
uh, listening. You know, when you, for example, when, when you go and, and you're a guest at somebody's house and, you know, they have this big clock there and you, spend, you lie the whole night listening to the tick, talk, tick, talk tick tock and it becomes more and more unpleasant as you cannot fall asleep like to anyone like this is this you know un, um, take it apart but you can't can't or you know anyway so tick tock tick tock tick tock unpleasant unpleasant i hate it unpleasant tick tock so i remember after that teaching i was sitting actually i think it was a class or somewhere um and i was listening to the tick tock like okay unpleasant yeah this is still unpleasant i thought wait a minute so the teaching says that the unpleasant perception is not inherent in the sound. Okay, let me listen to it and see, see if it changes. See? So I listened with interest, and I decided to listen as if this was the most beautiful symphony I'd ever heard. And guess what? It changed. TikTok became TikTok, TikTok, tick. It was pleasant, the same object became really pleasant that my perception it was pretty wild it was the first time i experienced the same object being pleasant unpleasant and then one moment later pleasant really it was pleasant i was i enjoyed listening to it i wanted more of the tiktok i didn't want anyone to speak anymore i wanted to listen to the tiktok it was it was delightful tiktok wow the most beautiful sound i've ever heard tick and then it changed again. It became neutral. It was just another sound. It was just TikTok. And that's interesting to see. And then when you start to see this feeling tone, this Vedana, in one place when it kind of shows up, you see how the mind is labeling things on its own, then you start to see it every it starts to pop up. It starts to pop up for, it started to pop up for me on, on a retreat many years ago. One of my first retreats, after I got the instructions, saw it one where, and then it's like, oh my goodness, my mind is just, without me even kind of knowing or, or having volition over it, is just kind of pleasant, unpleasant, oh, that person's shirt I like, but pleasant, that's unpleasant, pleasant, pleasant, neutral. And there's a lot of neutral. There's a lot of neutral that the mind's kind of, eh, yeah, I don't really, yeah, one way or the other. But it was so interesting to see how it was just going around and everything was just kind of like pleasant, hmm, pleasant, unpleasant. It's just, so notice that, notice that because that, that pleasant, unpleasant is the foundation for, um, for I like it, I want it, or I don't like it, make it go away. But before there is wanting or aversion, it's just an innocuous little pleasant, unpleasant. Or mostly the, the neutral leads to, oh, boring, boring. This is not that interesting. And that can also happen in meditation. You might have already noticed that sometimes in meditation, nothing is happening. It's kind of still, spacious, calm. Oh, this is boring. Let's go dig some of those old memories to work on. <laughs> it does happen. You may not quite be conscious of it, but that the mind is like, ah, nothing, yeah, boring, neutral. Because sometimes even unpleasant is more interesting than nothing. <laughs> 
than neutral. And pay attention to that. Notice that. Notice that. So another invitation in the realm of these, um, these mental factors, by the way, the, the word for mental factors is chetasikas, C-E-T-A-S-I-K, chetasikas, these mental factors. And we're giving you an invitation to see just a few of them, which are easy to see, and there are lots and lots of them, by the way, but, but we won't get into them. But the ones that are, I think, more, most pertinent Contact, Vedana, feeling tone. If you don't try to see anything else or examine or be with or really feel into anything else, Vedana would be the one, feeling tone. There's also Chaitana, Chaitana volition. And Chaitana, C-E-T-A-N-A, Chaitana is really feeling into the will, into that movement, movement of the mind, which, which moves the movement of the body just to say something, do something, or even think something. There is some, there's volition sometimes behind it. There's volition to see that, uh, uh, that energy in the mind to move. And that's easiest to experiment with. Here, I'm going to give you something to play around with. Um, go um, stand somewhere. Maybe you're doing your walking meditation. So stand. And then bring up the volition, the intention, the chetana to move. And then don't. Don't make yourself move. And then feel the intention, the urge to move, but not moving. Like That's what it feels like. It feels like, oh, the pent-up energy. Does that make sense as an assignment? Check that out. Or try to like, okay, intend to lift the spoon to eat, and then don't, then don't. Or open the, you want to open the door, don't. Like, feel that volition, feel that movement in the mind. Feel that. And that can become very instructive to see how volition acts, how, how it is that we have all these volitions everywhere. Another one, that you can experiment with, if you like, is sanya, perception. And then the concept of sanya, S-A-N-N-A, it's spelled in Pali. Um, and perception is kind of different from how um, the psychological science in the West um, defines perception. This is a little different, the word sanya. So, so the translation perception may not be the best translation, but sanya is the mental factor of kind of recognition, really. It's like when you recognize something, oh, this is that, oh, that's a cushion, oh, this is a bell, this is that. And it's interesting when that recognition um, kind of misfires when you see a stick and you think it's, it's, a, it's a snake, and there are a bunch of snakes around, by the way, if you haven't seen them, um, or you see a snake and you think it's a stick, and that, that perception. So, so that perception is actually powerful to, to, to being aware of that too because a lot of times, um, and I'll probably talk about this in the next talk, there are many um, distortions of perception. And that's a huge teaching too, which, which can happen internally and externally. Distortions of perception. I think I'll save that for later. 
So, so the invitation to to sit with, to examine, say Vedana, the feeling tone, um, is really in its own right, is, an, is a way um, to see reality differently. It's, bait, it's a way of, so all of these actually, all of these invitations is a way of breaking the compactness of experience. Because com- our experience usually both physically, so in, in the physical realm, it's compact, it's a whole body. Whereas when we break it apart, the experience is, oh, there are all these sensations everywhere. That's really the experience of body. That's really the, the low-level experience of body. It's just all these little sensations. With the mind, it's also similar. We have these experiences of this I see I want or I don't want. It's all compact. It's in a moment. You know, you go to the bakery, you see something, you buy it, you've eaten it, and then it's like, whoa, what happened? It's just like, it's like this. Whereas by breaking down the mental process, seeing, oh yeah, there's seeing, oh there's pleasant, oh there's wanting, oh there's recognition, it's all of these. Breaking them down and being able to see them, then you're, you won't be like a marionette, which, you know, oh, like, will do, want, but you can actually see it. You can have more... Uh, more freedom, not to be driven by all these these natural, not self, impersonal, impersonal conditionings that arise in this mind and body. We are made up. We're, we're made up of so many conditions. I see something. I like it because of all the previous conditions I have. It's not so much control. I want to see this as pleasant or like it. It's just all the conditioning. So it allows us to break the compactness, to examine the reality we take for granted. That's the way we examine reality, the mental reality. We break it apart. We don't take it for granted. We see it for what it is, and we find freedom in the midst of it, from it. So with that, let's just sit for a moment and let the words settle.
May all beings experience freedom, taste freedom in their bodies and minds. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.